Hello and welcome to The Unreleased, the design research podcast. This podcast exists to help map, broadcast and promote design research worldwide. The Unreleased podcast is brought to you by IAD, Universidade Europeia and UNITCOM. The interview was recorded at IAD as part of the PhD in Design program. To know more, visit unrelease.unitcom-yad.pt. That's unrelease.unitcom-yad.pt. On this episode, Professor Emilia Duarte, who coordinates Unitcom and Yad's PhD in Design, talks with Jamer Hunt, Associate Professor provost for transdisciplinary initiatives and the director of the graduate program in the transdisciplinary design at Parsons School of Design. Jamer was kind enough to share with us his thoughts on transdisciplinary design, education, system thinking and the changes in the role of the designer today. What I see as the, the key tension for the redefinition of a design practice is the shift from thinking from artifacts to systems to thinking within complex cultural situations and milieus and to recognize a fundamental sort of um, paradox of this moment which is uh, it is impossible to design but you have to design. Here is Emilia and Jamer. Hello Jamer, I would like to Welcome you to Portugal, Lisbon. Yad, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here with us and a pleasure. And it's a very important, let's say, historical moment for us. is <laughs> yes. because you are going to open the series uh-huh. of uh, design research podcasts. Mm-hmm. This is an initiative organized by our research center, UNITCOM, mm-hmm. and together with the PhD in design course. So this is an idea to, to promote design research amongst our students, but also to give a contribution to the society in general or to those that are uh, somehow interested in uh, design topics. And so in that case, it's um, a a little bit uh, stressful moment because it's the first uh, first issue and so it's it's important. Well, now I know that you are enjoying the city. Yes, and, for and sure. Yes. So that's good that the weather it's is okay. Extraordinary city and beautiful weather and, and it's been so, um, lovely. Um, I would like to start just uh, asking you a question, more in, uh, introductory question, mm-hmm, sure. just to know a little bit about what it means the transdisciplinary uh, design topic that you are, that you are uh, working on. And um, I know that you have a, a, a program, or that you run a program yes. um, at Parsons uh, on this discipline. Could you briefly explain us what transdisciplinary design is? Sure. So we started the graduate program in transdisciplinary design, a master's program, in 2010. And um, in some ways we started it because I think we all understood that the world was becoming more complex and that the the situation where individual designers from very um, singular disciplines were not necessarily well equipped to begin to think through the the complexity of what we were facing. And this was probably most evident in terms of something like climate change, um, where, you know, it's a, a, pro- a problem of global scale, for sure. But even at, even at a very local level, 
Um, simply making something out of a sustainable material was not necessarily going to make a big difference in the overall picture that we had to look not only at the products we made, but the services, um, the policies, the cultural behaviors, all of these things contributed um, to climate change. And so the question was, should designers continue to sort of uh, work in their silos, um, you know, making more products, making more graphics, making more garments, or should they and could they apply their own creativity, imagination, inventiveness, innovation to larger scale issues? And so we started the program in part um, not so much with an idea that we knew what designers were going to do. And in fact, I would often say to students when they're coming to the program, and I still say it to students uh, eight years later, um, that we did not set up a program where we were going to teach transdisciplinary design to the students. Uh, what we were going to do was we were going to set up a program where the students would come help us to discover what transdisciplinary design could be. Uh, and so we have uh, very purposely designed the program in such a way that it's a relatively open platform. Um, we don't teach one single approach. The students are exposed to a lot of different approaches, both within design and from outside of design. And so the goal is to, uh, for the students is to really try and pick and choose and integrate and develop a unique and new form of practice uh, uh, at the end of their two years within the program. So the goal was really to equip designers to deal with complexity, um, to think in systems, um, which at the time when we started the program was not something that, that designers talked about very much. It's much more common now, but at the time, uh, design was really much more focused on artifacts and the, and the sort of the things that most designers were used to making. So it was an opportunity to begin to reformulate the practice of design, to think through it in new ways, and to challenge students with faculty to think through the new possibilities of design um, and not feel weighed down. I used to always say that if you asked a question of an architect, the answer was always a building. And if you asked the question of a product designer, the answer was always a product. But what happens when you're asking an architect or a product designer about why education is failing in the public schools, the answer is not a building and it's not a product, it's something else. And can they contribute to that in a different way? And so the program was really established to help students to um, explore the kinds of um, issues that we felt were urgent in the world mm -hmm. and not so much to address some of the things that design historically addressed, which was simply about making new products uh, to sell more things. Uh, do you think that based on this uh, new approach, we can claim that designers' role is undergoing a radical change? It is undergoing um, a change. I don't know if it's radical. Um, you know, that's a, that's a hard role. I, I think I've certainly said many times that it's undergoing a radical change. Yes, I think um, the, the challenge for the design students that I work with is that um, there is a tendency in the way that we're currently approaching design uh, to think in all sorts of ways that move beyond the making of things. And yet, what are designers going to contribute, if not something about the making of things, um, a way of sort of putting new ideas into the world? What I see as the, the key tension for the redefinition of a design practice is the shift from thinking from artifacts to systems, to thinking within complex cultural situations and milieus, and to recognize a fundamental sort of um, paradox of this moment, which is uh, it is impossible to design 
but you have to design. And that to not design and not to act is itself a form of action. So I would always say to students in the beginning of the program that one of the main ways we thought about transdisciplinary design was action in the face of uncertainty. And it's that sense of radical uncertainty. That's where I would put the radical, is a sense of radical uncertainty that it's really hard to know that what you're doing is going to have a positive impact on the world, and yet you still have to act. And so it raises lots of ethical issues and political issues, and we really have to understand the range of impact of our, um, of our design work. And so it challenges the students to be both makers and thinkers at the same time, and that is a radical redefinition of design. Okay. Some people say that uh, nowadays design schools tend to teach everything but design yeah. subjects which is uh, yeah, close to yeah. what you are mm -hmm. saying. Some even talk about colonization mm -hmm. of design field by other disciplines. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in the near future there will be inevitably uh, this specialization and the professional reorganization? I don't know. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've always said about our program is that uh, we are not pretending to be the future of design. Um, instead, we see that there especially when we built the program in 2010, and things have changed in the last eight years. But um, when we started that program, almost all of the programs were specialized uh, in graphics or products or fashion or architecture. And so we thought, well, why not have a program that's not specialized um, and that you know, sort of moves beyond disciplinary boundaries? We weren't suggesting that every program should move in that direction, but simply that we could have a balance between programs that are very specialized and programs that are less specialized. And so I don't necessarily see that we will move to a educational landscape where every program is generalized. In fact, uh, I would say that's as much of a problem as having every program specialized. What I would like to see is some sort of appropriate balance between those two kinds of things. But it's certainly the case, even when I was teaching in industrial design 15 years ago, industrial designers, and this, this was really a result of the sort of transformation in software, um, but industrial designers were being asked not only to know how to render with markers and pencils, um, but to render with software. They were needing to learn uh, professional-grade software in illustration and layout, They were being asked to take photographs. They were being asked to make models. They were being asked to understand um, material science, ergonomics, environmental science. Um, that was just an industrial design, and that was 15 years ago, and already there was much too much to learn within any one uh, discipline for any one student, even going up through the PhD level. So it's certainly the case for all of us right now, I think in design and probably in all educational fields, that um, there are tremendous burdens as we begin to see the interconnectedness of so much of the world that we live in uh, to really understand where we make boundaries around disciplines, or maybe ultimately we have to move to some other configuration um, that isn't oriented around disciplines, but maybe oriented around themes, around migration, mm -hmm. inequality, um, uh, climate change, um, you know, we may have to rethink about the, the university. Um, that's something we're doing at the new school currently, is really asking the question of whether sort of colleges, schools, and programs mm -hmm. are the right way to organize education. It's a very 19th century, if not kind of 18th century model. Maybe we can have some schools that move in other directions. Uh, we as a school, or we as professors, we sometimes they ask us to... Um, 
list learning outcomes, mm. competencies, objectives, mm -hmm. and approaches, you know, process, and then we are required to list all this in the yes. in the syllabus of yes. the of the courses. So as a transdisciplinary course, yes. what should I <laughs> put inside the yeah. syllabus? So we uh, we have to do the same do? thing, and we yeah. had to do that um, both before the program started and ever since then. Um, so that's certainly a responsibility that we have. And for me, it's been um, very interesting to see the ways in which we still rely upon the design process. That's still the fundamental backbone of our education. And we had really planned that from the very beginning. We thought about, before we started the program, whether we should have a program that's really open to anybody and you know just bring everybody in. But we thought that really our strength was the design process. So let's make sure that that's fundamental to the educational experience, but then let's also uh, be open to the ways in which we have to transform that. So for instance, one of the things that's absolutely central um, is systems thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a part of the curriculum that was not a standard part of design curricula um, that's now central uh, to the program. Also, we have to think about research uh, through research methods, both for design and through design. So how is it that designers are able to reimagine the kinds of research that they can do now? And even the idea of research and design was, for us in the United States, a new concept 10 years ago. Um, so just beginning to even understand how research connects up to design at a graduate level, at a doctoral level, mm -hmm. at a professional level, that's a new skill. Um, thinking in scale, which is something that I... Um, you know, some of my work is focused on really trying to understand both how you can work at a very uh, hyper-local level uh, and have an impact on a community, let's say, but that anything you do at that very local level is ultimately going to be tied to global shifts and that you can't ignore those anymore. And so every student has to think through their own uh, projects, not only in very local ways, but in ways that deal with kind of multiple levels. And those multiple levels could be from the individual to the family, to the community, to the nation, to the globe, but they also could be from the, you know, from the cell within our body to the microbe, to the ecosystem, to the biosphere. I mean, there are lots of ways of thinking about that. So scalar thinking is also a big part of what we do. Um, prototyping has had to change. And so the ways in which we now think about prototyping when you're not making material artifacts, mm -hmm. but you're now doing interventions into systems, we had to rethink how we prototype. Modeling complexity uh, and mapping complexity becomes really important. So we have to understand what are the various forces that are affecting the context that we're working in at any one moment. So those are the sorts of... And then critical thinking, basic communication design skills, these are all... Uh, fundamental to, to what our students learn, but those are not necessarily the skills that were fundamental to design programs 10 years ago when we started. Okay. What kind of students you attract most? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of profiles yeah. look for your course? So our students, by and large, uh, about 80%, I would say, maybe 75% now, it's changed over the years. We take about 20 students each year, and it's a two-year program. About 75% of those students have a background in design. They have an undergraduate degree in a design field, and it could be any of the design fields. Usually at the other 25%, we're looking at students who uh, come from any range of backgrounds. They might come from fine art, from sculpture, for instance. They might come from community organizing, or politics, or science, um, or law. 
Uh, and they're people who have, in, or teaching, for one reason or another, they've come across the design process and they have become very curious about the way it could help to transform the practice that they you know, spent their professional lives working in. The one thing that I would say absolutely characterizes our students, uh, not in terms of their background, but in terms of their, say, aptitudes and attitudes, is a great sense of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So they love to think about you know, uh, law and communication design, or they love to think about um, medicine and you know, systems design, and so, and, you know, non-Western medicine, and ethics, and all these things. So, um, we're not a program that has a tremendous amount of people who love that deep and narrow specialization, which is something that I wish I had, and something that I envy, and I wish, you know, the world needs that too, um, but our students tend to be very, have a great degree of curiosity, and tend to be very restless, staying focused on one thing. They love to kind of connect up things in the world. Okay. Very frequently our students ask us, what kind of jobs should mm. I expect uh, yeah. having this course? And so, what kind of jobs do, they, do, they, do you think they will have in the future? Yeah. Well, the, the good news is we've graduated five, I think five years or six years of students. So we now have a really good picture of where the students go okay. in terms of their jobs. When we started the program, That was my number one concern um, for two reasons. One, um, nobody was looking for transdisciplinary designers. No one was advertising for jobs for transdisciplinary designers. And second of all, in the United States, it's a massive financial investment for students to go to college. So it was you know, in the range of um, 100,000 euros simply for tuition plus the cost of living in New York. With that money, you can start a business. So they're investing money in their education Uh, and many of them going into deep debt with the idea that this is going to really launch a career. So uh, that combination of nobody looking for transdisciplinary designers and students who were coming in with tremendous debt was a very terrifying mm -hmm. situation for me as the program yeah. director, starting this new program, inviting these students in and asking them to sacrifice so much to learn something that we didn't even know the answers to. Um, the nice thing is, um, when we started the program, I could see within the field, and I was pretty well connected in the design field in the United States, I could see that the traditional larger design consultancies like Smart Design and Frog Design and IDEO um, were really shifting in where they were going, that they had started by and large as product or really sort of artifact-driven design firms. And then they had sort of expanded to, now, to include experience in, as it related to the products. And then they started to expand even more and start to think about um, innovation overall, much more broadly speaking, that they were bringing in uh, different kinds of people now. They're bringing in anthropologists and researchers in addition to designers and engineers. Um, and so I thought that we would be able to sort of, um, you know, uh, position our program in such a way to meet that demand mm -hmm. for a, a different kind of designer once we started graduating them. The interesting thing that happened when we first had students graduate was they would go to interview at design consultancies. And what we found was that um, they were, our students were really big picture thinkers. They were very strategic thinkers, uh, very synthetic thinkers. Um, and they would apply for jobs and it would be entry level jobs. And entry level jobs don't want big thinkers. They want people who 
just, you know, do things. do things, right. And so they would, they would, they'd be interviewed and they'd say, wow, the person thought I was in it really interesting, but they didn't know where to put me um, within the firm because I wasn't entry level, but I also wasn't sort of, you know, executive level. And what happened along the way was that a, a, a sort of a subset of design began to emerge within a lot of consultancies that ended up getting labeled um, strategic design. And a lot of our graduates started to get hired by big consultancies that were starting up strategic design. So Gensler, for example, has a strategic design um, part of their overall company. And so they were hiring our, our, um, our graduates. Um, ThoughtWorks, which is a huge software company, was starting this sort of strategic part of their own business. And so they were hiring our designers. The other thing that changed along the way, which I was really excited for, because this is where I really hoped our graduates would go, was that um, I was really excited by the idea that our graduates would go to into industries where designers had typically not lived. Um, so what we saw was, for example, in international development, that they were starting to hire our students to think in innovative ways about humanitarian aid and disaster preparedness. That um, uh, healthcare companies were starting to think that they needed to embrace innovation. So many of them started innovation labs. They hired our students to think strategically about the future of cancer care, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, that educational institutions like uh, what we call kindergarten through 12th grade, so for younger students, were starting to think about how innovation played in their world. So what we saw over and over again, and you saw this even in financial systems and in financial uh, companies, that they were all embracing this idea of innovation, um, certainly, they were influenced by the, um, the growth of design thinking. Uh, many of these companies had sort of um, absorbed the lessons of design thinking, but they didn't have that culture within their company. So they were starting to hire our graduates as well. So those are the two places, consultancies, which have started to sort of build a strategic capacity within them. And then um, in primarily non-governmental organizations that have embraced um, the sort of the kind of innovation model uh, or innovation lab model. And even our, um, our federal government uh, has, in the Office of Personnel Management, a, um, an innovation lab. They've been hiring our students as well. So for federal government as well, city government has also embraced sort of innovation labs. So those are the primary areas that we see our students going to. Mm -hmm. Very few of them, for reasons I don't understand, uh, start their own business. Um, most go into okay. consultancies or NGOs. Okay. Well, you somehow responded to this question, but uh, as a way of synthesizing mm. the, the, the response, uh, can you give us one or two examples where the transdisciplinary approach performed better than any other approach? <laughs> That's an impossible question. Uh, I wish I knew the answer to so, that. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that we tried to do along the way, this is going to be a way not to answer your question. Okay. So um, okay. one of the things that we tried to do along the way um, was to incorporate this idea of metrics. In other words, how do you measure the impact of design? Uh, designers have rarely approached this topic. And really one of the only places you see it is in something called, called uh, post-occupancy uh, evaluation in architecture, where they'll go back after they've built a building and see whether the building has sort of performed in the way that they expected it to perform. Well, I started to think that we needed to uh, think about design in that same way, particularly because our students were working uh, in many cases with communities. And my feeling was we were going into communities, often very vulnerable communities, communities where 
um, people were at risk for various sorts of things, whether economically at risk or socially at risk or uh, at risk in terms of their health and well-being. Um, and our designers were going in there, they were working on projects, and then they were leaving. And I thought that, first of all, that's a terrible model. And second of all, do we even know we're, we're doing good there? Um, how would we know that what we're doing is having a positive impact? So I, try, I hired a faculty member who is uh, uh, wonderful, Rupal Sangvi, who has a company called Health by Design. And she has a background in public health. And what was great about public health is they always measure the impact of it. They don't do anything in public health or in health in general without measuring whether it has a positive impact because they're not going to start a new protocol or do new standards if they worsen people's health outcomes. So we worked with her to try and understand and have the students build into their process a kind of um, a method for measuring or anticipating or trying to understand what their model of change was and how to measure whether that was happening or not. Uh, we didn't get very far. Um, it was, uh, you know, maybe one thing too many for our um, students to absorb. But I've seen it within other um, sort of social design networks and organizations trying to understand that question of metrics and outcomes and how we measure them. I see that our students um, are successful in one way that was surprising, um, and that is that many of the consultancies that hire them hire them not only to do their jobs, but also to help them think about the company itself. Mm -hmm. That because they are large sort of strategic and systems thinkers, they're very good, and then also I think because all of our projects are collaborative, they're very good at sort of thinking about the culture of an organization. And they have a really great sensitivity towards that. They are very natural at collaborating. And so I see when they go into companies that the companies have them working on projects, but very often they are also helping the company to rethink its own culture of innovation, its own culture of practice. Um, and so those are some of the ways. I don't know whether our outcomes are ultimately better or mm -hmm. not. I think it's still a struggle for our students to do projects and to understand projects. So maybe in 10 years we'll know that answer. Okay. Uh, hopefully we will. Okay, thank you. And from a design research uh, perspective, um, I'm very curious to, to know or to understand what kind of methodologies do you use? Mm -hmm. And for example, is more um, uh, expert-based or mm -hmm. practice-based or more uh, laboratorial or experimental approach or more um, collaborative mm -hmm. in the field yeah. uh, process? What, what kind of approaches do you use uh, most and can you point one project or two mm. that could uh, help us to understand better the, this kind of research? Yeah, the, um, what methods do we use? We use a lot. Um, and so I would say that the predominant approach that the students seem to take from our program is a participatory design mm -hmm. approach. So, you know, an idea that you, uh, by and large, the, the designer's role is to work within uh, communities of of practice, um, whether that's communities in cities, communities in rural areas, communities around the world, whether that's communities of healthcare practitioners mm -hmm. or scientists. Um, so that I think is, has become, um, and not because we've promoted it this way, but I think it's just sort of emerged out of the program. That's really become, I think, the most uh, characteristic approach to design that we see. Um, there have been um, a very uh, strong embrace of the idea of cultural probes uh, coming from the literature from uh, Bill Gaber and Tony Dunn and, and others 
from a couple decades ago, um, the idea of using design as a way to structure uh, a kind of workshop uh, knowledge gathering process, that has become very um, consistent across the students' projects. That said, I wouldn't say any of us have said those have to be parts of projects. It's really more the students gravitate towards these. Um, speculative and critical design. Um, you know, we've been very fortunate to be able to, um, uh, you know, provide a home for Anthony Dunn and Fiona Raby, um, who have, you know, very much energized our students around speculative and critical design, which has, in interesting ways, um, you know, worked in tension to some of the more uh, sort of collaborative or participatory design approaches. So that's added, I think, a really interesting and healthy tension between the sort of design as auteur, the design as author kind of model versus the designer as facilitator model. And, and I think students have been trying to understand and ne negotiate those two different approaches. Um, the uh, And then I would say um, there is a strong interest in sort of ethnographic mm -hmm. approach um, approaches. So the idea of going out, talking to people, deciding with, seeing that experts uh, are everywhere. And they're not just people with PhDs and the CEOs of companies, but these are experts who are teenagers because they know their city really well. Or these are experts in living with very little money because they've led a life of poverty. So trying to understand that expertise is really outside of the program and outside of the walls of the program. Um, we work very um, diligently, and especially in the beginning of the program, in networking. Um, so our students have collaborators from not only around the city, but around the country and around the world. Uh, mostly, I would say, around the city, but a lot of the companies that they work with, for example, uh, the International Rescue Committee um, is one that has projects going on around the world, and our students are working on those projects, and our graduates are working in their innovation lab. Um, so we are um, working very diligently both uh, at a community level and at an organizational level to pair up our students um, with uh, practitioners. Um, some interesting projects that we've seen over the years. Um, right now, I, I've just been talking to um, our students who are in the very midst of framing their project. Uh, right now, a student was uh, came in with a really interesting project around the idea of diagnosis in medicine and healthcare. And the reason he brought that topic is in part because he'd been diagnosed both with a physical disease and with a, um, with a sort of psychological uh, syndrome. And he was struck by the ways in which a diagnosis organizes your reality and structures your identity. Um, it also tells a story about your past and it gives you a sort of script for your future. And so he was looking at this notion of diagnosis in what I thought was a really innovative way um, and trying to understand how he could work with, initially he thought it was really going to be um, the community of healthcare workers in thinking about um, the impact of diagnosis. But as we dug a little bit more into some of the things he was making, um, what came out was a really interesting, um, somewhat sort of um, satirical voice in his project. And I realized that his project might have much more relevance with the community of those who've been diagnosed rather than the community of those who diagnose. And so he's now um, starting to reframe his project a little bit more around the ways in which a diagnosis changes an individual's life. Um, 
And so we'll see where that project goes. Um, another student of mine is working with the International Rescue Committee um, on working with the um, three different communities that uh, impact migration um, and immigration within the United States primarily. So those are the communities of professional uh, sort of immigration organizations, the communities of the migrants themselves, and then the communities of the families who are often um, taking those migrants into their homes. And there is quite a bit of tension and even some friction between those different groups, different expectations about what the experience should be. And so she's working with the International Rescue Committee on rethinking some of their processes around the sort of reception of new migrants into communities in order to improve that overall experience for those three different communities. Mm -hmm. My last question is a little bit provocative. Anyway. Good. You have described transdisciplinary design as being characterized by willing experimentation in new contexts with unknowable outcomes. Mm. Okay. So, with this idea in mind, mm -hmm. and considering that uh, research requires funding, yeah. okay, it's expensive, mm -hmm. and so we need the funding to do research, um, and the majority of these funds are associated to well-established uh, scientific areas. Mm. My question is, how do you manage to get funds to support your research? Right. So um, that, there's, an actually, there's actually a, a pretty easy answer to that question. Um, That's good. <laughs> in the United States, there is almost no funding for design. Um, and there's very little funding. I mean, there's funding for academic research, but it tends to be in the humanities or in the sciences uh, and not for design. So we have very little, we have never had um, a culture of research funding of design. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of the challenge of what our students face is how to take the kind of impulse and the strategies and the desire to do design research and make them relevant to a professional context. Um, and That's a very big challenge. And so what you tend to see is that the research and the work that our students do um, has to be, in a way, sort of justifiable or made relevant to companies who will then think about it from a profit standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very, very difficult tension. Um, and it's one, I was just talking to somebody who was visiting who came from Europe, and they were really struck by the extent to which our graduate education is shaped by the initial financial cost coming in and the need to then uh, pay off that debt when you leave with a company that pays you money for the work you do. Mm -hmm. And they really noticed that that shaped sort of the, in some ways, the attitudes and the, um, and the culture of the research that was done, that there was always this sort of need to be able to justify it, not on the basis of research questions, but on the basis of how it applied in the world and how it might change things on the ground or how it might bring new innovation. So we're really stuck. It's, it's interesting because I'm somebody who is not that interested in business for business sake. I'm much more interested in the unknown okay. and in sort of research for research sake. And, and that's the world that I'm comfortable with. Um, but I also know that our we won't have students if they can't find jobs. Um, because there's not enough of a social safety net in the United States and there's not enough research support and, there's, and, and going to school costs so much money. 
So we have to make our work relevant to um, those people who are going to employ our students. So the research has to prove its relevance mm -hmm. somehow. And we try not to do that. I, I think that might make it sound like our work is very commercial. It's not at all. But our students have to prove that they can transfer the skills that they do in their projects to commercial contexts in order to sort of um, be relevant to those organizations. The other part of that is a lot of our students are now going on to non-commercial organizations. So they're going to non-governmental organizations. They're going to research organizations. They're going into consultancies that are less interested in the financial bottom line and more interested in the environmental or the social bottom line. Do you think companies are not uh, prepared to accept this approach? Many of them are, um, yeah, but they have to, they have to prove um, what their value proposition is, and our students don't usually think in those terms, and so um, they absolutely, I mean, they have been hired by, uh, you know, financial uh, services, services companies, so they're very, you know, bottom line oriented, and some of our students do come in with strong backgrounds in very commercial worlds, so, you know, it depends on the student as well. Some of our students... They're activists, they want to change the world, they're artists, they want to make their work. Um, but also some of our students are, you know, have uh, backgrounds in very commercial worlds. And so mm -hmm. they're usually the ones who find a home in more commercial sorts of um, jobs moving forward, whereas a lot of our students tend to be more in the realm of the non-governmental organization, the research organization. Some of them want to teach, some go on to PhDs. We have quite a few of our students who go on to PhDs. Um, so, you know, I would say... 50% of our students go into commercial consultancies, but about 50% go into things where profit is not the driving motive. And so they fit a little bit better within those cultures. Okay. So thank you so much. And I would like to, well, uh, highlight the opportunity to have you here opening the series of uh, Unreleased Design Research podcasts. One again, thank you on behalf of IAD, Universidade Europeia, for accepting our invitation. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to our podcast on the main platform. For more information about the Unreleased podcast, go to unreleased.unitcom-yad.pt. There you can find all the episodes and more information about our guests. Unreleased podcast is the result of the work of the students of Design Cultures and Practices course from the PhD in Design program of Yad Universidade Europeia. It's produced and edited by Unitcom.